Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 77 of the Comfort Films Podcast. This is the last week of our animation month. And we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which came out all the way back on December 14th, 2018, if you can believe it barely can believe that there's multiple reasons why partially because i feel like we have been in a wormhole between like 2019 and 2022 <laughs> we're time travelers yeah. so i don't just i feel like none of nothing happened during those years so we just skipped them <laughs> <laughs> but also the animation in this is still so amazing and holds up so well and the story, you know, is a multiverse story, which I feel like we're getting slammed with from every direction at this point. Yeah, like if we had a multiverse of our own lives, I think we're doing a podcast in every version. <laughs> and in each version, we're saying the multiverse is too much. Yes, probably so. Also, you know, we have like the multiple versions of heroes, which has become like super ubiquitous. Yeah. Like the Flash that's coming out has double flashes. We've had, like, you know, three Spider-Mans and Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> they should do the pointing. You know? yeah. <laughs> we now have, you know, when we go back to this, we see, like, many versions of Spider-Man from different multiverses. So, it's it's funny to me. And, of course, we had everything everywhere all at once, which was another non-Marvel type multiverse movie. So, it's just a little crazy to me that all of these things are still kind of so central to the conversation that people are having in film right now. And this kind of predated all of them because it came five years ago. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> so much happens in five years. Like, I don't know. But we're watching this movie and it looks like, you know, it came out two months ago. It looks the same as the sequel that's coming out in a few days at this point. Yeah. We saw the preview for the new one. When we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and again, I was struck by the, the comic style, what the filmmakers referred to in the uh, commentary as chromatic aberration. And that's all those lines that you see uh, in the frame. So it, it directs you to a certain subject or a certain point. It's kind of like a shallow depth of field mm -hmm. in film. Yeah, it's like they were kind of mimicking a comic book style of the kind of color offset printing um, where if you actually used to read, you know, comic books that were printed on that pulpy type paper, you would notice that they would have kind of this offset print, um, where like some of the blue or some of the red would be off to the side a little bit. And this does that to draw your attention to certain parts of the frame rather than others. Um, but it also could make you feel like you accidentally walked into a 3D movie without your glasses. Which has happened to us, yes. I mean, we were there at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and it's like, oh, are we in the right theater? <laughs> yeah, because there were like a million options, and we could have accidentally walked into a 3D without any problem. But that is what it kind of feels like on occasion, but it also just makes it really vibrant and alive. And especially because this is set in New York. You know, there's always something going on with lighting and just, you know, bright color and activity in the frame. I think that they capture that super well using this technique. Oh, yeah. I mean, this thing looks incredible. I mean, we watched it on 4K at home 
And wow, I mean, we have it paused right now on a still from the film. You could pick any second in this, pause it, and you could just kind of leave it up as a painting, you know, because I'm just like looking right now at Miles Morales asleep on the floor in his bedroom, you know, or maybe he's not asleep. Maybe he just kind of fell in the window there. But either <laughs> yeah, way, I can't remember what part this is, but this way. is when he just got away from the prowler. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, 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 he he's, just kind yeah. of collapsed into the window, but. You know, the lighting is very impressive in this. It's very real lighting. Yeah. Um, and it's always like there's light coming in from the windows, which really is what it's like in a city. I mean, for us, whenever we're inside, there's always light, even when you really don't want there to be. Um, but that's what keeps happening here is that it keeps being backlit all the time when people are indoors. Well, they actually did these darker scenes first because it was less work for them with the lighting. There was so much work that went into this on every single level, you know, because you have people working in the computers. Then you have people drawing on top of that. Right. It's CGI. It's a mix of CGI and hand drawn, um, especially with like the expressions and things Mm -hmm. like that that were drawn on, which I have to say really works because it makes it look like real people, you know, with real expressions. Yeah. I mean, they look alive. I mean... It's because there are no shortcuts, I feel like, in this. When they do a time lapse, they have to draw every single millisecond of that, you know, every single frame and just speed it up. So when you see those sequences, you can really feel that detail. This is such a detailed film, and it's such a brilliantly colored film. Now, I'm a person, I love it when you see an exotic car and you see those highlighter colors. I love wearing, like, you know, really bright orange clothes. You know, that's me. So in this film, where you just have this explosion of color, like you're inside of a lava lamp, you know, you're you're just, you're blown away. I love that, too. There's a lot of neon in this. There's just a lot of bright and... It fits with the character of Miles Morales, too. You know, he's young. He is a vibrant person. You know, he does graffiti art uh, and uses a lot of color and paint color, you know, to do that. And so it makes sense for him to be in this vibrant, bright environment. It fits his personality. It's also very interesting because usually when you see a city... You do see how huge it is, but usually we see how dirty, grim it is. And this goes in a completely different direction, which I really like. And I also like very much that in this film, that being a graffiti artist is being a graffiti artist. I mean, it's something that's appreciated. And it also is the common bond that Miles has between his uncle Aaron and his father Jefferson. Yes, I mean, like, it's something that he cares about and he's interested in. He gets the opportunity to bond with his Uncle Aaron over. And, you know, Aaron, like, brings him down to, like, that kind of sewer subway area. (laughs) You have to to go deep into the basement to fulfill your dreams. That's the point of this, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's better than just tagging in our alley. Oh, my God. Like, a can of spray paint that happens every 10 seconds. Yeah. Like, that's my problem here in L.A., like, I don't really mind graffiti if it's really nice, but then if it's just like some kind of stupid letters on, you know, a concrete wall, like I feel like they should have put forth more effort. <laughs> I fully agree with you. I mean, this Miles Morales level, yeah. this is Let's what I want to see. Yeah. yeah, I want to see something that says great expectations with an outline. Well, a lot of the traffic light boxes have that level. 
of effort put in where they have like a real artistic, you know, uh, painting on them, which I like. And that, yeah. that I love to see, you know, or if people do murals and stuff like that. But tagging some garbage on a wall. <laughs> uh, we have like an alley behind our apartment building and people are always tagging it. And then the people repaint the wall. And then like the next day there's a fresh tag on it. Mm-hmm. It's just annoying to me. It's, yeah, it, it's very challenging. Like, you know, show some creativity that I'm into that. <laughs> well, in this film, what's very interesting is that we do have, you know, Uncle Aaron, okay? So he goes down into this dank subway, sub-basement, cavern, tomb. <laughs> and, you know, they spray paint and they listen to some cool music, right? And then at the end, you know, his father is like, why don't you come with me to a privately owned area, you know? <laughs> and we can, you know, do some, yeah, do some art. Yeah, because his dad is police and it's very, like, lawful oriented, you know, and he's like, wants to find a way for Miles to do it that's within, you know, the legal bounds. But it's really great because he also makes that into a tribute to mm-hmm. Uncle Aaron, which is awesome. I like that. Well, and it's also great because you see that Uncle Aaron and his father Jefferson are such a huge influence equally on his life. Because the character Spider-Man lands kind of right in the middle because he is a vigilante. Okay, He is a superhero, but he is operating outside of the law. And, you know, it's like he's operating outside of the law, but he's doing it to help his fellow man. Yeah, it's like he's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or the wrong thing for the right reasons. One of those. <laughs> one of those. One of those. You got it. You got it. But, yeah, it's <laughs> it's like, you know, he's going out there and he's doing something good. But he is certainly not law enforcement but he's certainly not a criminal either. He that's that's what I like so much. Well, that's like really what became like the central question of the Marvel movies, right? For a while is these people have all these powers but they're unregulated. Is this okay? Is this not okay? Sure. I mean, that's what Civil War is totally based around. The question of, and I don't think they ever really answer that question. There's just different, you know, opinions that can be given. It's, it's, it's a big question. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to take a quote from the man Stan Lee himself, which appears at the end of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Let me get my paper. Okay, so Stan Lee said, That person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. Yeah, and that is what this movie is really about. It's about finding your own superpowers and that anybody could be Spider-Man. You know, anybody could be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. <laughs> it's just a matter of being, you know, in the right place to get bitten by a radioactive spider. And there's all these different versions of Spider-Man, which I think is really cool and I loved when we first saw this. I mean... Out of all the alternate Spider-Men, who's your favorite? Well, I'd actually have to say Spider-Woman, and I would say Spider-Gwen is my favorite. I love the colors. I love the character. I love that she's like a dancer and that that's like part of her kind of skill is that her movement is kind of like ballet type movement. 
And she's in a band, which is very cool. Yeah, that is cool. And she has inadvertently gotten a really cool haircut. Right? Because Miles rips half her hair off. But... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, oh, my God. Awkward moments with that, Miles. So bad. That well, is so bad. I like Spider-Man Noir, of course, voiced by oh. Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, come home to daddy. You I know, mean, I mean, yeah. At Comfort Films, we love Nick. We always talk <laughs> about him all the time. But I think this is particularly good use of his skills, you know, because he's playing kind of this Humphrey Bogart style kind of film noir kind of guy mixed with Spider-Man. And I think he does a hilariously great job. Yeah, and it's different. I've never heard of Spider-Man noir. No, well, I hadn't actually heard of Peter Porker, Spider-Ham either before this, which is voiced by John Mulaney. And he's hilarious. It's kind of like Porky Pig mixed with Spider-Man. I actually knew about The Amazing Spider-Ham because when I was a kid, I got a comic book of it. Okay. Yeah. In the summers, I would always go to my Aunt Rita and Uncle Art's place, and we would always go to the pharmacy to get different things that they needed. And I would always get lucky, and I'd be able to get a comic book. And one time that I was there, I actually got Spider-Ham. I thought at first that, like, maybe it was just, like, a joke, you know, when, like, Spider-Man was inside, but he was not there. <laughs> no. So it's like I, I knew of that character, and I thought it was very funny. I like to pull it out at parties with people. And be like, do you know about Peter Porker? You know, like... I think it's a very funny uh, choice there, but I never had heard of him before, so that was totally new for me. Um, and I never heard of Penny Parker no. and the Spider Mecca either. Um, and that's like an anime style kind of character, which is cool. Yeah, it's neat that it's something so different, that it's a spider that's radioactive, that's inside, you know, the mech. And then this radioactive spider has like a psychic bond with Penny. <laughs> it's very complex. I'm I like, like it. I'm like running to Wikipedia to be like, what is this character about? Like, I don't get it. But it was super cool. And I loved it. And yeah, I mean, and then you have Peter B. Parker, which is the phenomenal Jake Johnson. And I really love this character. You know, he's like... If, you know, the Peter Parker that we know and love kind of got older and became kind of lame, like we all do as we get older. Yeah, he kind of feels like if they did Friends, like about 10, 15 years out, you know, when people were just starting to come out of their prime, you know, that that's the vibe that you get. But Jake Johnson is hilarious. Anything he's in, I'll watch. And in this, yeah, he is the perfect slacker that doesn't want to grow up that doesn't want to give in you know to becoming a father and a mentor yeah Yeah. it's like he doesn't want the responsibility of it and he's kind of been avoiding that in his own dimension and coming over to you know miles's dimension kind of forces him to have a bit of a reckoning with himself and and go back a changed person which i think is a great arc for him in this movie and jake johnson makes it so real oh yeah and that was just one of the things I loved about it. I mean, from the minute he shows up, I love him. Like, he's kind of like, you know, he kind of surprises Miles in the cemetery. And then there's that insane scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is one of my favorites where, you know, Peter is, Peter is kind of halfway out of it. And 
yet he kind of has a web attached to Miles, and then they end up getting attached to a train and dragged along, and the cop on the radio is like, looks like a child dressed as Spider-Man uh, dragging a homeless corpse behind a train. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really hilarious because, you know, it's animated perfectly well. It's like a great action scene. And I don't know how Peter was okay after going face first down like this asphalt. <laughs> no, he gets beaten up so bad that it's just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and then at the very end, you know, when they both just fall from a height, you know, down onto the pavement. It's just like, oh, and then thank God nobody stepped on them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's going to happen? But it was very, like, New York that they're just, like, in the middle of this crosswalk and people are just like, eh, just walking around them. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually, you know, that's one of the tamer moments in this. Because, you know, we talked about you know, personally, how in the Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man always has a relative killed. You know, it's someone that's very close to him. Yes. And well, yeah, usually it's an uncle. Like, Uncle Ben is the number one victim. <laughs> he's of, on the hit list. You yeah, know? He's, he's not safe. Yep. Who's yeah. your girlfriend? Who's your wife? You know, <laughs> we're coming. You know, that's that's really what we see here. But in this film, for some reason, when we had these deaths, they hit me a lot harder. Yeah, Uncle Aaron is a hard loss. Like, I'm not saying that Uncle Ben isn't, okay? But I think that it might be the effect of, you know, having seen Uncle Ben take it, like, so many times. You just get bored. That it kind of loses the effect that it had at first. It's kind of the same thing with, like, uh, Batman's parents. Oh, yeah. Like, when they die now, you're just like, yeah, yeah, just just move on. We know, you know? Because you've seen it, like, how many times? Like, every Batman movie... The parents get, you know, offed. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah, we get it. We know. We've seen it. We're there. Uncle Ben got it. Great power. Great responsibility. We've heard a story. We get it. <laughs> but, like, Uncle Aaron is, like, this new character. And we kind of get to bond with him through Miles, you know, when he takes him down to do the graffiti art. And, you know, it just seems like it's kind of this safe person for him to talk to because his dad is kind of, you know, such a dad, you know. Right. He's just, he's too uptight that he can't connect with him. Yeah. And he's just, you know, his dad is like the disciplinarian, you know, sure. the one who's telling him what he shouldn't be doing and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, embarrassing him out in front of the school, you <laughs> know. <laughs> and so when he has Uncle Aaron, it's kind of like this safe place for him to express himself in a way that's out of the ordinary. Yeah. And, you know, out of the, you know, realm of lawful good where his father lives. His Uncle Aaron treats him as a person. And he is looking out for him. He's not going to send him to certain doom. But, <laughs> I mean, then again, he almost kills uh, but Mar- you he know, almost kills know Miles. It's him at the right, right. I mean, <sighs> I mean that's you know moral ambiguity though, because would it have been okay if he was like about to kill another kid who had been you know bitten by a radioactive spider? Right. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, from the beginning, the Prowler to me is the scariest character in this. I fully agree. You know, from the second we see him, we know this is a character. That means business. He has those terrifying, like, metal claws. Oof. Like, 
And, I mean, I don't feel like we sufficiently ever understand what the deal is with Aaron, why he's working with Fisk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that will come out in the future. Um, or maybe I just missed something. But I feel that, you know, we don't understand what the what the reason was there. No. How he got mixed up with them. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I just go for the most basic reason, which is, why are you involved in crime? You know, it's like you want to make money. Yeah, and also, you know, if he's this engineer or whatever he is, you know, if what he creates is like this metal claw suit, you know, how else do you get to use that? But then, you know, he's got, uh, Fisk has like Doc Ock also. Doc Ock, Or yeah. Liv, whichever, you know, if your friends are not. Um <laughs> You know, I love Catherine Hahn's performance. It's so funny in this. That's yeah. the thing. We've loved Catherine Hahn for such a long time. I think we were like really early seats on the Catherine Hahn train. Absolutely. And people are starting to like get it now after WandaVision and, and some other things that she's done. Um, but Catherine Hahn is so great as Doc Ock mm-hmm. with this voice. And just she really does a great job building this character who clearly values science above anything else and thinks people are expendable you know if it has to do with scientific advancement you know she built this collider all that she cares about is making it work you know and she doesn't care like what has to happen for that to go through you know it's like you know getting wilson fisk's wife and son back I don't think she cares about that at all, except in that it's kind of the end product of having this collider that works. Well, I get the feeling that, yes, she is with Wilson Fisk because he has the money to buy all the toys. And she gets to do all of these things that she always wanted to do. And perhaps that's why Aaron is with him as well. Let's say he couldn't build that suit on his own that he needed the kingpin's capital to build that suit possibly yeah and i mean that could be what it is i mean scientists are morally gray i think in a lot of comics and i do think that that's because comics kind of became popular after like the atom bomb type era um so you see scientists creating things but they're very destructive things And so scientists come off as morally gray in that respect. Yes, they're advancing humanity's understanding of scientific concepts, but what they're doing is being used to murder people. Yeah, and I mean, you could also say, you can argue in some cases, like, you know, we've seen with Jurassic Park, people are scientists because they want to control the world. They want to control nature. And push the boundaries of what's possible and what's you know, natural and become like a godlike figure. And it's, yeah, it's the, it's the pursuit of power. That That's what we see a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I do have to say, we do see that quite a bit where we see a scientist that's singular in purpose. And this is, this is no different here. The performance is fantastic because when we first are introduced to Doc Ock, you know, it just seems like a regular scientist, like mild-mannered, friendly, Yeah. you know, and we don't have any idea. You know, you have to pay attention to the little details. You know, for example, 
her octagonal glasses, yeah. right? That actually change into circular goggles when she is Doc Ock. Yeah. And, you know, also you pointed out when we were watching it, like the back of her head kind of looks like the, the, the body of an octopus. Yeah, when she goes into the Doc Ock form with like the, the tentacles, she kind of ties her hair back and it looks like just this big octopus head. It's crazy. It's I never really would have cool. thought of that. Yeah. Well, I thought about why, why did they do that? And I was like, oh, never mind. Got it. Right? It's all there. But it's cool because they went with like a soft robotics kind of look mm-hmm. for Doc Ock in this one, which I don't think would be as easy to do in a, a live action film as it is in an animated. Um, when we see him, usually it's like this very metal kind of tentacle suit that he has here. But this is kind of like tubes and, and you know, they're still very strong and they're destructive and stuff. And but she's also like much more fluid the way that she's able to move like when she's chasing them through the woods yeah it's really creepy well it's the fluid movement that she gets is much more like an octopus and it's like an octopus in water so it it really it plays out the name better it's like ah yes doc ock yes yeah. you know like i i finally got it well they did something really interesting in that scene also with the animation with the speed because this is before miles kind of has his abilities and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah. So they actually animated him at 12 frames per second and they animated other people in the, in the background and everything at 24. So he's kind of moving half speed comparatively, um, to show that he isn't up to speed literally. That's awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, they do so many neat things in this movie, with technique. For instance, you know, after we see Miles Bitten, we turn more and more into a comic book style in the film. You know, we start seeing the boxes, you know? Hey, it's like, hey, we've got words on the screen, you know? And it's just like, it just builds and builds. And then we get panels, you know? And then we get the brighter colors. Well, I like the Spidey sense Mm. that they always, like all the spider people have the... The squiggly lines when their spidey sense is activating. That's, yeah, that, that's super cool. Yeah, and that's funny. That That's like, that's played really well comedically many times. Like, well, and also it's scary. So, you know, is it going to be funny? Is it going to be scary? Yeah, you're like, oh, what's happening? What's coming? It's good. Yeah, well, you know, I also want to say that the use of the Kirby crackle or the Kirby dots in this is fun. And that's named after Jack Kirby, who was an artist and you know he worked on so many great comics and he actually did the these kind of bubbles that that would overlap each other and they would be used to show like an energy crackle you yeah know? like cosmic energy i think they said in the commentary and you know that's kind of what's pouring out of the collider mm-hmm. and you know it it informs some of like the way that the glitching is happening yeah. Um, and that was something else that was really colorful and cool is when the glitching <laughs> happens. And there's one part where I think the traffic signal or something kind of glitches and turns into this, you know, colorful, weird looking thing. And a bystander guy, which I think is voiced by Post Malone, says, oh, yeah, I think that's a Banksy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's like a little, you know, blink and you miss it type of thing that is very funny. Well, there's so much in this that they have. They said, for instance, 
if whenever you see a subway going by, if you pause it, you know, you have a pretty good chance of actually seeing Stan Lee because everyone wanted to animate Stan Lee. Yeah. Well, and he's walking by and that one scene after they fall into the, the <laughs> crosswalk. And then, of course, he sells Miles, the Spider-Man suit, um, in the store. And it's a great little scene. Well, it, it's poignant, you know, because he said that he was friends with Spider-Man and he misses him. Because that's, again, talking about shocking things, going way back to earlier in our discussion. When the Kingpin actually kills Spider-Man, our first Spider-Man, I never expected that. I yeah, never I expected that to happen. And Chris Pine, again, you know, Captain Kirk of this generation, he's someone you always like. It's, it's a very friendly character, very likable, like Jake Johnson. And so you kind of feel like everything's going to be okay. But when you have the terrifying Kingpin who's voiced by Liev Schreiber brilliantly. He's always brilliant. Yes. You know, and he kills Spider-Man. You're, you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You yeah, know, I didn't expect this. Well, and like Miles, you're strongly affected by this. Mm-hmm. It's shocking because you never expect the hero to die like that. No, you don't expect to ever see that. And it's also poignant because Stan Lee died the month before Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was released in theaters. And it's like he's giving a eulogy to Spider-Man when he is the one that's passed on. And and it's just like, oh, wow. Well, and he was so important to the creation of this character. And, of course, so many Marvel characters, but Spider-Man in particular. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he did so many. So get this. Stan Lee was actually a co-creator of not only Spider-Man, but also the X-Men. Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, Ant-Man, the Wasp, the Fantastic Four, Black Panther, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, and Black Widow. Just a few. Just a couple characters. And I'm sure there's even more. I'm sure there are things that I missed. But this guy was so important. You know, he was with Marvel Comics before it was even called Marvel Comics, <laughs> you know, and it actually was fun when I was reading about him because they said one of the things he got the biggest kick out of was actually these cameos that he had in the films over the years, in the Marvel films, and he's in so many of them. Yeah, he's so important to this series and to all the Marvel universe. It's great that they were able to like put him into this in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Putting him into this just is the icing on the cake. And again, with Jack Kirby, you know, we have a tip of the hat with the animation style choice that they made as well. Again, with that Kirby crackle or Kirby dots, whichever you want to go with. And Steve Ditko, he also, you know, worked with Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And he was best known for being the co-creator of Spider-Man and the creator of Doctor Strange. And one of his big things that he did, one of his big moves, was he contributed to Iron Man's suit. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that was his big thing. That was his design. So, I mean... And he passed away in 2018 also. Yes, he did. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's like all of these, these powerhouses. So why do you find this a comfort movie, Georgia? Well, that's a fun question. I think it's just because it's just so well made. I mean, I enjoy the idea of the multiverse um, in different movies. I do think it can be overused and we're really knocking on the door of that. 
but um, I do enjoy the thought that there can be different versions of people and different, you know, dimensions. Yeah, yeah. And I like, you know, exploring that in a fun way. And I think that they really do that here, you know, with showing different ways that, you know, Peter Parker's life could have gone differently or different people who could have become Spider-Man in different universes. And I also just think it's so well made. It's a joy to rewatch this. It's a pleasure to always put it back on and watch it again. And it does kind of have that hope that we always are looking for in our comfort movies. You know, even though they experience loss and there's difficulty in the end, everything comes back together. You know, the relationship with his father, Miles's relationship with his father is much more strong than it was. He also is bonded with Gwen and with Peter B. Parker, you know, and really changed Peter B. Parker's trajectory where he was kind of being depressed and living in a terrible little studio apartment and eating pizza, Hmm. chubbing up, you know. (laughs) You know, after he has this experience, he, you know, takes the leap of faith. You know, that's the whole idea here is that you kind of have to take a leap of faith Even if you don't know how things are going to work, you just have to believe. And I think that's a great message. And I love the way that they express that in multiple ways through this movie. Family is just really the center spoke. Everything is wrapped around. I have to say, I really do love the fact that Miles is able to positively influence Peter B. Parker. It's really flipping the script because we've got the kid, you know, educating the parent. And I I really like that. It it shows that this movie isn't afraid to break tradition. And breaking tradition I love. And what I love even more is honesty and performance. And everyone in here is delivering that. You know, we don't have any questions as to why someone is doing something because it's so perfectly portrayed. Even when, you know, you've got someone that's animated, those feelings are coming through. And it's a combination of the performance and the animation. With the Kingpin, I... Okay, very terrifying character. He kills Spider-Man. We see it. I love the fact that he's so massive. You know, that, you know, kind of makes me want to laugh. And I'm like, oh, look at the good bear, you know? And (laughs) I love the fact that... Well, that's a tough thing for you, right? Because you love Kingpin. I do. I do. I like the Kingpin. I, I mean, I like all of these villains, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I like pull a magic spell in my head where I feel like they're just like friendly people, you know, and they're not like I love Jabba the Hutt. You know, Jabba the Hutt, in my mind, is just a dude who loves to hang out. You know, he likes to party. He likes to listen to live music. He has all of his friends hanging out in his place all the time. He has this cool pet. You know, I I mean, it does eat people, so that turns into a drag. And, I, you know, the putting the women on the chain is an absolute no. You know, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the hell I'm going with this. Well, it's just that you have kind of selective perception when it comes to these villains right yeah absolutely you know if you like the way they look or you like something about them you're just like you're like oh this is a good guy um but i felt like i was wondering if you would have trouble with this movie because kingpin is so evil here and a big part of it is that he is so selfish like 
really his whole deal, right, is that he has Vanessa, his wife, and Richard, his son. Mm -hmm. And he's very happy with them, right? But he also wants to, like, control things. Right. And he loses them, you know, because he, they leave when he's attacking Spider-Man. Yeah, you get the feeling it's like he's a person that was great with his family because you see all these wonderful home photos <laughs> and they're so good. They're yeah. so, so good. Like, that's wonderful. That's, that's kind of the memory I latch on to, right? And then, you know, then we see him just like brutally attacking Spider-Man. His nose is bleeding. You don't see this loving father and husband. You see a brute. You see a murderer. And they run away and they die in a car accident. Yeah. And because of that loss, he just becomes very disturbed and he's doing anything he can to get them back. And it isn't about fixing a problem that he created. It's not about him uh, making up for his mistakes. It's about him getting back what he wants. So his motivation is not pure. He's not seeking absolution for what he's done. He isn't admitting that he did anything wrong. In fact, he's still doubling down and then killing Spider-Man. You know, he blames Spider-Man for what happened, even though he doesn't take responsibility for his own actions. That's Kingpin. He's always trying to put it on somebody else that they took away what he loves, and now he doesn't care what he has to do to get it back, even if it's collapsing multiple dimensions, killing everybody in those dimensions. He doesn't care. You know, I mean, it's causing these quakes that are affecting the city, and then, like, the glitching starts because these dimensions can't coexist in one space. So, you know, but he doesn't care because he just wants to get Vanessa and Richard from another dimension to replace the ones that he lost. Yeah, there's just this overwhelming selfishness and greed in the villains. We already really covered that with Doc Ock. Now we're talking about Kingpin. You know, they, they don't have... I don't know. They, they don't have the capability to, to be good. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's a villain. So, I mean, we should never think that they're really going to change. But what we do see happen as at the end of the film, when they have that whole battle, you know, with the Collider, his family, the Kingpin's family, appears while he's fighting Spider-Man again. again. Yeah. And the family wants nothing to do with him. They're, they want to get away. And it, it's just like, man, can you get the message? Can you stop it? Like, he killed Aaron again. You know, that was so tragic. That was so cold-blooded. It was so calculated. Now, I'm not saying in any way it was out of character or unexpected. But I have to say, from this large man that they can't animate getting out of the vehicle again, which I love so much. So he just stands there. I, I just, you know, I, I again, it looked like this friendly bear, and then he's just killing people. It's not like cocaine bear, like a good time. <laughs> it's just like evil kingpin bear, and it's not it's not what I wanted. No, it's a pretty big bummer. Yeah. You know, well he, done, though. Very well done. Oh, well, yeah. Excellent course. story, excellent performance. And Leah Schreiber is perfect. Oh, he yeah. He has, like, this low, like, you know, gravelly voice. And, you know, he really portrays the Kingpin really well. 
as just this ruthless guy who will do anything to get what he wants. Yep, and that's it. And he's just so two-faced. The fact that they have that banquet for Spider-Man. Oh, gosh. When he killed him, it's like, oh, my God. And then all the waiters are Spider-Man. It's a great plot device, you know, so our team can just sneak in. I love that. Oh, my God. And we get that wonderful thing with Penny Parker inside the spider mech oh yeah yeah right she's there she's like eating popcorn or something and they just put like a white sheet over it so it looks like it's (laughs) a a, table yeah (laughs) they're like rolling on a buffet table or something yeah i love it that they you know all land on top of the roof you know that obviously has like this open glass top like every (laughs) in every superhero movie or really any kind of action movie at all there's always some scene that takes place in this glass-topped building. Sure. Uh, but they look in there and they see that the Spider-Men are the waiters. And they're like, it can't be this easy, can it? And then they, <laughs> you know, the next scene is them all dressed as waiters. and Perfect. It, there are so many things that are perfect. Lily Tomlin is Aunt May. Perfect, perfect. Yes. I love it. And I love it because she's no nonsense. She, like, kicks open her own back door to get to the shed to yeah. show them everything. You know, I really felt like she could have taken care of a lot of business. Yeah, you know? I mean, Aunt May could have just been on the team. Right? You know, she was great. And I love it when she sees Doc Ock and she's like, hi, Liv. Yeah. <laughs> because we established earlier in the film that, you know, Doc Ock, she says, the only people that, that call me Liv are my friends. Yeah. She you does. know? She's like, no, my friends call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc Ock. Again, Catherine Hahn is brilliant. Every line that she says is awesome. Yeah. So I mean, somehow they were friends, but we don't know. Well, you know, I guess there was, if I go back to Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, Doc Ock, when he's Otto Octavius or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm is kind of like a mentor to Peter. So Yeah, he is. You know, maybe Liv had also been a mentor to Peter when he was younger or something and that's how she knew her. And before she turned evil later. Peter's had some rough times, right? I mean Green Goblin. He's had a lot of rough times. And then his best yeah. friend, like man. Man. Yeah. That's so bad. When you go back to the Toby McGuire, yeah, those are some tough ones. Man. It's just like but yeah, I... Stay away from the Osbournes, you know? Just <laughs> yeah, don't do it. That should have been the name of like one of the Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man, stay away from the Osbournes. That'll be next. They remake those movies like every 10 minutes. So I, yeah, I just remade it before we did the show. <laughs> you might. Yeah, I'm going to remake it after. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm cool. working on a reboot right now. I just rebooted my reboot a few times. <laughs> I just got to no, that... reboot it. I did get to a point where I was just like, oh my God, no more Spider-Man. Like, it was just so much Spider-Man. But I have to say, like, every Spider-Man movie is so good. Every Spider-Man movie is a triumph. Every time that I'm like, I don't want to do another Spider-Man movie, I see it and I go, oh my gosh, this is another one. Now, I mean, you know, this month we're talking about animation. So we're talking about Into the Spider-Verse because, again, it just completely changed the face of animation. I think I'm going to say that because I just have not seen anything like that before that film no i think you're 100 percent right it's so realistic and at the same time so creative and artistic yeah like it's it is a work of art yes i mean it won the the academy award for best animated feature that year as it should absolutely deserved yeah and you know it it reached a level that i still don't know if i've seen uh, exceeded at this point like the creativity 
of it is so intense and it matches to the story so well. It just, I don't know, it's it's great. I mean, when we were going into doing this episode, I was a little concerned that I wouldn't have anything to say except, wow, this movie is really cool. Because <laughs> yeah. it is one of these movies where my my real reaction isn't like, oh, I really want to break this down and like explore all the themes and talk about all the techni- techniques and it's just, I want to say, wow, this movie is super cool, <laughs> you know? I'm with you. I just want to be like, yeah, it looks great. I'd like to break down every frame and turn it into a large wallpaper. You Pretty know much, what I mean? yeah. We'll just print this out and hang it, you know, as wallpaper. Oh, my God. How great would that be? You just, like, look across. You just read the whole thing right in your living room. It would be super awesome. Ooh, we but should like, do that. Big that's... projector. Slideshow. A slideshow. But then why not just watch the movie, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that no, works, I mean, too. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those movies that is so good and so well thought out so well written so well plotted well acted the casting is crazy good like if you had any part of this movie that you worked on you should be proud because you can't do much better than this no you would hold your head high this is like an a plus absolutely absolutely this is a 10 out of 10 it's something that's really fun to watch and an absolute achievement. You can't get better than a movie like that. You know, when it is the best and you love it so much, I mean, that that's a match made in heaven. I mean, the hard part is making the sequel to it. You oh, know? yeah. Well, that's coming out and I can't wait. I mean, who knows what they're going to do next? I'm sure that they're going to top themselves. Yeah, I mean, they have to. They've had a long time to work on it. And mm. I I'm, I'm know that they're going to build onto the property like really well yeah and you know the cool thing about this is we have a lot of spider-man movies like you know again to the point where you're like oh my god another one but this one is really different because miles is the spider-man yeah and you know yes he's like a young smart kid but it is different than peter in a lot of ways well that's what is so great about this because the peter parker that we know dies and the torch is passed and it's passed miles and miles is such an interesting character because we don't have all the information on him yeah we didn't know his father was a police officer yeah and and his mother's a nurse yes. and like and the mother you know, oh my god so good yeah so she's good. great too like that i feel like i hope that there's a lot more mother because there wasn't enough i mean this first one was very much about his relationship with his father mm-hmm. because that was kind of set up as like a, a comparison with his relationship with Peter B. Parker. Um, so it makes sense, but I'd love to see more with the mother because Luna Velez is the voice actor. She's very good. Excellent. And the character is really interesting as well as the, being a nurse, like a working class person. And I just think that, you know, it's really interesting the way that this family is like somebody that we haven't run into before, you know? I love that. I love the fact that it's brand new. I love the fact that they're bringing me in through a whole new journey. That's what I want. We have Miles, who is not an orphan. Like, not that there's anything wrong with having, you know, the Peter Parker orphan character raised by his aunt and uncle. But this is a different deal. And I think that they're really going to be playing on that in the new film. Because, you know, from just the previous and things like that, it seems to be a lot about him 
wanting to be able to save his family, you know, and, and having, you know, the importance of his relationship with his parents and things like that. So I think that that opens up a lot of new possibility that we don't necessarily have with the Peter Parker, Aunt May only type of uh, uh, family mm-hmm. unit. Well, it, it, it's again with the introduction of all of these different spider people that you may or may not know. I mean, it really piques your interest. You want to go and you want to learn about each one of these characters. The film does a great job of balancing the characters. Because, I mean, all of these new people that Peter meets that have similar abilities, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of who each one is. I feel like they, I do, too. I think they did a great job of giving them equal time. Yeah. Um, you know, some more than others. We obviously get to know Peter B. Parker a lot more, and we get to know Gwen a lot more. But... I think that I am so excited to see these other spider people and how, you know, and think about, you know, it just opens up your imagination of what their life is like. And at the same time, it like adds to this relationship building in the movie because all of them in their own universe are the only version of them, you know, and for them to like be, in this different dimension with other spider people who are like them, it opens up, you know, a big thing for them. It's like a collaborative, you know, endeavor that they wouldn't be able to have if not for this universe collapsing device that Doc Ock creates. I'm an enemy of hers, so I call her Doc Ock. (laughs) Noted. What I also find interesting is all the characters that we bring in, they bring their genre with them. You know, (laughs) Spider-Man noir. Yes. You know, he turns it into a detective story. And then there is that humor, too. You know, kind of that wry Nick Cage wit all about. hard-boiled, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that Rubik's Cube. And he calls them a turtle snapper or a turtle slapper (laughs) or something. I don't know, he, he uses, like, this ridiculous kind of vernacular from, like, those old movies, which I think is perfect. Yeah, it, it brings it, it, I don't know, it just, it brings it right in. I mean, we love those types of oh, movies, of too. So, for us, it's, like, just a really fun thing to combine Spider-Man, which we love, with this, like, hard-boiled detective kind of character who we really love. I mean, we watched the hack out of a million of those movies. Sure. But, I mean, when you think about it, you know, we have, you know, Spider-Man Noir, and we also have Spider-Gwen. And what do we associate Spider-Gwen with? For me, it's those really, really, really bright hyper colors, which we do see come into the film. Particularly, I think about the end battle sequence at the Collider. Which is an amazing looking sequence. Like the color and that is awesome. And so it's like we have the influence there. With Spider-Man Noir, for instance, when we have the scenes at the Prowlers, you know, when we have, you know, Miles jump in the window and then he has to hide and then he finds out the truth about Aaron. That whole piece, that feels like a detective story to me. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that... (laughs) The lighting through the blinds type of lighting, which yes. is very film noir-y. Um, and yeah, I feel like they bring that in. Spider-Gwen's suit is my favorite suit. Oh, that's so great. The, the Like the hood. The white. Yeah, the white and kind of hot pink kind of color. Mm-hmm. I really like that. It's a cool suit. She I makes... would love a Spider-Gwen movie. Oh, yeah. I, I would sign right up for that. She reminds me of a character that should be in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Mm, okay. You know, like that that's the kind of vibe 
she gives me. She's too good for Scott. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, Haley Steinfeld is great, and I really do hope that that we see more with that character. I'm sure that there will be a depth a depth created to the relationship with Gwen and Miles as we go into the second movie. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I would love to see like a standalone Gwen movie because I just think that um, her style, like her dance style kind of fighting is so cool and her suit is so cool. And I just like her character. I think she's, you know, she's got a lot to her. Like she's supposed to be best friends with Peter Parker in her world. And, you know, I just want to see how that dynamic works. Like I'm interested well, it's interesting because they said in her world that Peter Parker actually turns into an enemy. Yes, and that's amazing. Like, right? I want to see how that works. Yeah, I want to know that too. And I mean, I'm... that's kind of like Oz, Harry Osborne, I guess, a little bit. But, you know, because Peter and him are like besties at the beginning yeah. of the Tobey Maguire movies. But, you know, I still think I would love to see that play out. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, and I mean, Spider-Ham, his very presence in the film brings about like that Looney Tunes era. And that's what he really throws to you. Yeah. And he has his quick one-liners. And there was one line in particular I know that they cut from the film because they thought it like impacted the tone. Yeah. Well, it was it was about his uncle Frank Furter yeah. turning into a hot dog. You know, like he uh, smelled good or something? pretty gross. Yeah. And it was... I mean, I think that it was a funny joke, but the moment would have been impacted by that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big moment that we have, you know, on campus. They're kind of having this come to Jesus moment with Miles saying, look, you are not ready. You are not ready for this fight. That That's a very heavy thing. That's a very big thing. And the stakes are so incredibly high. You know, I mean, all of these people want to go back to their dimension. But the way that that works is... Someone has to be there to turn the multiverse off when it's over. So that means one of these spider people would have had to sacrifice themselves. Yeah, they have to they have to stay behind to upload the goober and hit the button. <laughs> the goober. And then they're glitching. It's kind of like a Marty McFly situation, you know, and, and they're just it's gonna be painful and they're gonna die. And like Doc Ock talks about that in a gleeful way which is terrifying oh, yeah. well she's so matter of fact about everything because she's like you know the ultimate awfulness of of certain you know fictional scientists yeah yeah where it's like they will sacrifice anything for knowledge and you know she's excited about the fact that you know his cells are gonna like implode and all this stuff yeah know? that makes my skin crawl like i, I mean those characters I mean, again, excellently done. You know, if I want to run and cry, you did your job. Well, for me, you know? it's like the Nazi scientist Absolutely. trope almost. You know, like, I'm, you know, I don't care what I have to do to learn more about this. And, yeah, and, and even like the, the Doc Ock suit itself, that, that seems like Nazi experimentation with all the different things that they would do. They would do human experiments. Then they had this thing where they're trying to get a flying saucer going. They had all of these inventions. Yeah. Well, and they this, had unlimited resources. It goes back to, yeah, to what I was saying, I think, about the comics and the post-war era in which comics kind of became a big thing. Um, and also, like, B-movies of the same time. You know, you have, like, these kind of the science gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. As you're kind of bad baddie you know whether it's 
you know, radioactive 50 foot women or giant grasshoppers or mm-hmm. ants. I think there was one about radioactive ants or something. You know, all these movies and, and comics from this time was a, were about, you know, science gone bad in a lot of ways. Well, and this is something interesting to think about when we think about this World War II angle. Do you ever think about the fact that Kingpin looks like Daddy Warbucks from Annie? I have not, but yeah, he does. It's like a big, giant, bald guy. Yeah. Right? So it's like Daddy Warbucks, right? And, and, you know, he is the one that's funding all of these things. Mm. So it that's that's something just to, you know, kind of swim around with that I just thought about it. Um, that's interesting. I never made that connection. But yeah, I don't know if it's intentional, but it certainly is there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very frightening crew. I mean, they have the Scorpion character as well. That looks like a product of experimentation. I don't know the backstory on that particular character. No, I don't either. Terrifying. I, I do like when Spider-Ham drops an anvil on him. <laughs> <laughs> that was so loud. Yeah, I, I mean, that was, yeah, that was, that was a really great moment. Again, it was like, what I loved about Spider-Ham is he would bring humor in these really bleak, tense moments and it well it goes back also to what you're saying about that each spider person would bring in like their own world like it's not just that their character has been brought into miles's dimension but they bring like the properties of their dimension with them yes and the anime with penny parker and the spider mech was incredible because you know the spider mech no question anime Penny Parker, no question, anime. And then we also have scenes, like I talked about, where she's riding around inside of him. It just couldn't be more anime. Yeah. So it's just bringing it in. And, and it's this amalgamation in this film that I love so much. And also I'm so thrilled to just see a different Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, uh, Miles is a great Spider-Man. Fantastic. And you have the utmost faith in him that he will do the right thing. You know that you've got a rich story with the family. We've got this backstory with his uncle. You know, I don't feel that that's fully resolved. I'm sure that's going to come back around. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, everything with the father. It's going to be really exciting to see this go on. And I can't believe we've waited five years. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel like it. But I am really excited to see where the story goes next. It's going to be a new adventure in... I don't know. I, I, I don't even know the words I want to say. I think a new adventure is all I can really think about because I don't know what they have in store for us that's brand new. But you know it's brand new, and again, it's going to be groundbreaking. And Yeah, because their level of creativity and just what they're bringing to this is so magical, mm-hmm. honestly, if you can think about it that way. You know, it, it's kind of like when we watched everything everywhere all at once and there was like this multiverse but the potential seemed endless and like they just kept bringing in all these amazing things and i think that's what they did in this movie as well like they really opened it up to bring in all kinds of things and they're creating at every level you know they're creating in the script they're creating in the art like the production design and the just animation style i just can't wait to see what they have you know to bring to the table here it's going to be awesome yeah it sure is it sure is 
So, and that's obviously why we picked this to give us a little appetizer for the new movie coming out. Yeah, it's always good to go back before the new one comes out. You know, and you get all that information, you know, in your pocket, and you're like, okay, I am prepared. I I am gonna say that I don't know that they can have a scarier villain than the villains that we've seen in this. I don't know if they can do that. I mean, the Prowler scenes, we talked about them already, but I just have to say that's what stands out the most to me in this film are those chase scenes with the Prowler. Well, and the reveal. Like when you find out that it's Uncle Aaron, it really does kind of shock you and, you know, jar you, you know, because you've bonded with this guy through Miles and you you have a certain feeling about him and then finding out that he's actually a bad guy is you know destructive in the same way that it is to Miles you know him trying to to reconcile that is very difficult and you have the same feeling as a viewer oh yeah and i mean you trust Mahershala Ali his voice acting is so good in this and it really does make that character so real that it is a huge loss. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's difficult to carry on past that. Yeah. And again, I mean, we're it, Spider-Man, as we know, it dies right at the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and that that just brings on the changes. Yeah, it's. I think that you know having them having that be kind of the early part of the movie is kind of jarring you in a way to set you up for what you're going to have to deal with throughout this movie because it is not the world you're used to. You know, it is different. They they pepper in little things to show that it isn't our dimension. Sure. You know, like the NYPD is the PDNY. And, you know, Seth Rogen, Hold Your Horses movie <laughs> that did never come out here, you know. Dusk of the Sean. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the name of it. Yeah, they have some different things in there that really make you laugh that are just a little bit different. But what I also really like... Is it from Dusk Till Sean? That's it. Yeah. I think that's it. Thank <laughs> you. From Dusk Till Sean. What I also like is thematically, it's letting you know, yes, this is a heavier film. Yes, there are sad moments. But the fact that Miles Morales is literally dragged out of the graveyard do you understand like they're pulled through the entire city to get us away from this place of sadness and death i feel that really gives us something that you just have to keep going i I feel that that's really the message that we have in this because when we have uncle aaron die yes it's very sad but we power through yeah, well, and you have to you have to go on. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the message, and you know that's hard to learn, especially when you're so young. You oh know, yeah. For P- for Peter to have to learn that with Uncle Ben, and for Miles to have to learn that with Uncle Aaron, it's very difficult. And I think that you know that is part of growing up is learning about loss and dealing with loss, and that's what makes this like you know a coming of age type movie in a way as well. Sure. I I mean, it just, again, the way it deals with so many topics, it doesn't feel like a children's movie. This is not anything that has been dumbed down. You can tell this is the work of much research. You know, like you really knew exactly how you wanted to hit your points. And you also wanted to say to the audience, 
this is not going to be your standard paint-by-numbers film. Well, you know, the thing is, I feel that I haven't been a teenager for a very long time, and I haven't been a teenager in this, you know, generation, which seems very difficult. But I do think that they did a really good job of capturing what it feels like to be a teenager um, when, you know, there are all these great expectations on you, right? Like, that's this um, essay that that Miles is, has to write is about his ex people having expectations for him he's in the special school you know yes he won the lottery to be in the school you know but he passed the test like everybody else he got this opportunity and now his parents are really expecting him to do something with that you know and it's a lot it's a big weight on him and then he also becomes spider-man yeah. which is an even huger weight on him and i think that you know, we see Miles having to navigate these expectations and it does feel very much like what it's like when you're growing up and you're just being hit with so many difficult things that you're having to deal with. Like, your body is changing. Like, his body changes after he turns into Spider-Man, wakes up, his pants are too short, you know, the next day, right? And then he continues to have his pants be too short, basically, for the rest of the movie. But, you know, he's got this growth spurt, so that's happening. He's feeling awkward and weird, you know? <laughs> and then at the same time, he is expected to keep up with his schoolwork. He's also living away from home during the week, you know, boarding at the school, which that's a big responsibility for a teenager. You know, he's trying to make good grades. He's trying to learn who he is as a person. It's a big time in somebody's life, and I think that they did a good job of kind of turning the Spider-Man piece into just another part of that navigating the world as a teenager. I completely agree. It really integrates everything so well. And we see that Miles doesn't want to be different when we look at the school. He wants to stay at his regular school with his friends. He doesn't want to be a standout person. He wants to be happy and in the crowd. And that's a, that's big for teenagers and, and kids in general. You don't want to stick out. You don't want to be unique and special. You want to be, you want to fit in. Yeah. You want to be part of the crowd. And there's nothing weird about that. But, you know, when you are, you know, super special or you do have something different about you, you know, you have to learn to embrace that and and that becomes who you are. You know, and by the end of this movie, I think that he is doing that. You know, he has recognized that he is different, but that that different doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a great thing. And, you know, I think we'll see him exploring that more as we go into the second movie. Definitely. And I also like the fact that he has a teacher that is so attuned that she can realize that he purposefully got a zero on the test. Yeah, because it was like a true-false. Yeah, and she's like, look, you know, if, if I just use logic here, you definitely would have gotten some of these right. The fact that you got every single one of them wrong says to me that you intentionally tanked this. And so she turns it from a zero into a 100. And it's recognizing the potential that Miles has and nurturing that potential. She's making him feel comfortable with moving forward. And that's what we have with the other spider people 
that Miles meets. All of them help him in some way. They help him with a skill set, but they also help his self-esteem. They also help him feel it's okay to be different. Look how different I am. You know, these aren't the words that are spoken, but you can see the confidence you know, in each of these characters around Miles. Well, they've all struggled with that being different because when they see each other and they realize that they have a commonality with each other, there is like a happiness there that they finally do have somewhere that they can fit in, you know, because they have the spider group, you know, <laughs> and they all fit into that club together. Yeah, it, it's a great film. Again, family chosen family these are some of love, our favorite topics acceptance loss did you ever think about the fact that kingpin his plight with his family is somewhat similar to mr freeze i did not but that is a great great point because yes mr freeze also is just ready to torch everyone yes the opposite of torch <laughs> phrasing. chill out <laughs> Just because he wants what he, you know, he wants to, does he want to bring back his wife? Is yes. that what he's trying? Yeah. So that's the whole thing. Like, and they kind of look similar between that movie because he's got like the bald head and mm -hmm. everything. That's funny. Yeah. It, it's just like these little connections that we see across all of these characters. I love to find that. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite things too. I love. We love that. We love making connections. Oh, yeah. I think everybody, I think that's a human thing. We love to connect things and see patterns, you know, and, and different things. But that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Because I had actually thought about Kingpin as being pretty unique among villains for his motivation. And, you know, yes, there is a greed there. And, and you know, he wants to control. But a big part of it is just that he's in such pain yeah. You know, he's, he's in such pain and he just wants to fix it. And he is blinded by the pain and doesn't understand that his fix is not a fix. Like, I don't know what he thinks he's going to achieve, you know? I don't either because his family left him once because he was a ruthless criminal. I don't see anything in here that's like I've changed. When he sees his family, you know, when they flash when they're in the collider, you know, on the subway train at the end of the film, you know, he runs after and is like, oh, you know, it's me or whatever he says, you know. But he doesn't say, I've changed. He doesn't say, I'm ready to change. None of these things happen. You know, again, it's like we have the same scene because he's fighting with Spider-Man at that point. But again, you would think if you lived that moment again and, and you lived so hard thinking about it because i'm sure the kingpin just rolls this over and over in his mind what if i did this differently what if i said something differently or it could be like oh i should have beat spider-man up down at the pizza place you know like you know i don't <laughs> know what way, it is. yeah yes. yeah he's got to be replaying it but the, you're right he hasn't changed like he's still the same person that caused this to happen mm -hmm. he hasn't fixed himself he hasn't even recognized his culpability no you know he he doesn't think about that all he's thinking about is i want to get them back and so you know, I don't think he's played this out. I don't think he understands what it would be like if he did pull these people in from another dimension. They would be terrified. They would be horrified and not know what's going on. They wouldn't recognize him as the person 
that, you know, is there, Wilson Fisk, you know, he's right. from a different place. So, but, but he doesn't care. He just wants them. He wants to possess them. And there's something really, you know, dangerous and scary about that type of villain. It, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And, and you think about all the families that the Kingpin destroys because he's trying to come back to his family. You know, it would be interesting to think if all the Kingpins from all the other dimensions showed up, what would they do? Wow, that would be a movie. We need to see that movie. I want to see that movie right now. I would like this very much. Well, he's still alive at the end of this. He's yes, just yes. captured, so the door is maybe open. We'll see what happens. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But, I mean, again, the things that I want, you know, for the Kingpin are just ludicrous. You want like, to fix it. You want yeah, to fix. I want to be fine. I want, like, a beach movie. I want him to be, like our new John Candy. (laughs) You know, that's what I want from the Kingpin. I want to have a good time. I want to eat a hot dog with you, pal. This is good. So to wrap up, what would you say is your favorite visual moment from this film? That's a good, good question. Let me think. It's It's part of a scene, if that works. What it has to be is when the Prowler is initially chasing Miles through New York and he's on his motorcycle, and we see that the bottom of his shoes, they're they're lit purple. It goes into those panel shots. And it has that, that like, uh, exhaust has a flame as well. There's something so incredible about that shot to me, just seeing the back of the motorcycle and him pursuing Miles. That's my, my favorite that's my favorite moment in the film. My favorite visual moment that just sticks in my head is when Miles takes the leap of faith mm. and he jumps off the building and it kind of slows down mm-hmm. to where, and it's kind of also flipped upside down. So it's like he's falling, but he's also rising at the same time. And it's like he almost reaches like some kind of terminal velocity or something where he just changes in that moment from being Miles to being Spider-Miles, you know? Yeah. And just the way that it looks, the frame looks, is just really memorable because you have like these buildings on either side and then this blue background and this little dude, you know, just kind of floating in the center and it's just a really cool moment where, you know, you see Miles making the transition from who he is before to who he is after in a very visual way. Now, if I'm not that. mistaken, at the end of that sequence, that's when we see the comic book issue of Spider-Man with him on the cover. Am I correct? Yes, because that's when, you know, every time they introduce a spider character... They do that. You know, they show their their comic book. So it's like, that's the moment when he becomes Spider-Man. He's got his black suit with, like, the graffiti spider insignia on it. And it's like, you know, this is, this is Spider-Miles. I love it. It's great. Yeah, it just really puts a button on it. I love it. And it does really show that this is transitioned from being, you know, awkward, innocent, to being our superhero. 
Yeah, it's like he is taking charge of who he's going to be at this point. It doesn't mean that he's perfect. No, no. You know, it doesn't mean that he's figured it all out. But it means that, you know, he's taking that, that leap. And, you know, the next scene, you know, the next big kind of sequence is when he is in the collider and, you know, says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You guys are going to, you know, go back home, you know, and then he and Peter B. Parker kind of have a bit of a, a struggle with that for multiple reasons. Peter B. wants to be the hero, you know, because everybody, all of these people are used to being the hero of their universe. So, you know, it's kind of like that joke you know, of like, well, who's going to do it? And like, all of them are like, I will do it. You know, they all <laughs> volunteer to sure. be the hero because that's what they're used to. But Peter B. Parker really doesn't want to go back home where he's kind of a loser and he doesn't know how to fix it. You know, and this is that moment where, like you had said before, which I really loved, that like, you know, the ment- the mentee becomes the mentor and kind of says, you got to take that leap, you know, and he kind of drops him. He's like, pretty good, kid, or whatever. <laughs> and it's like a really great Jake Johnson moment. Uh, but that's, it's, it's just such a wonderful movie. I really love it. Well, you know, man, it's just so hard. I, I keep thinking about my favorite visual moment. And I do love that moment with a motorcycle with Prowler. I love pretty much everything with Prowler. But really, when they're in the collider at the end, all of those colors, when they're just so, so, so bright. Yeah. And again, you have all that Kirby crackle and... It just looks incredible. Again, it looks like you're living inside of a lava lamp, which if that's something you could actually do, I'd really like to. You would definitely do that. I would be there. Yeah. Well, it's so cool because, like, everything is going out of control. Like, the other dimensions are starting to, like, escape into Miles' dimension. And that subway train is, like, just wildly flying all around the place. And these buildings are popping out. It's very chaotic. You know what it reminds me of, and this is really very random, but I'll bring it up. With the subway train and the collider at the end of the film and things kind of collapsing in, it reminds me of Skyfall. It reminds me when James Bond is underground and the subway car actually crashes yeah. through the tunnel. It kind of reminds me of Inception where mm. all the city starts folding in on itself. Yeah. And that also happens in Doctor Strange. Um, as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and Doctor Strange again. Multiverse and the, Madness. Well, yeah, but that's also in our Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby wheelhouse. Yeah. So it's, yeah, all of this feeds each other. And I think they do a wonderful job again of just combining everything. Yeah. And I also would imagine that if you look back at the comic panels, that they use that for a lot of inspiration as they came around with this film. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's visually present, and, you know, the story structure is there, too. Like, it's like the superhero quote that you read. You know, it all kind of goes back to that. Like, being presented with the opportunity to do the right thing and having to make that choice is what makes a superhero a superhero in real life, in a book, in a movie, whatever, you know, and that's the decision that we see Miles making throughout this movie, and it's really cool. It's excellent. Just an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. 
right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of Comfort Films Podcast on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We really enjoyed talking about this one again, and we really enjoyed talking animated movies this May. You mean this anime? Anna May. Sean. <laughs> yeah, right. That was, you know, that was so good. I really enjoyed it. it it's a big change of pace. You know, we've only done one other animated film like we talked about, and that was the Bob's Burgers movie, and that was a while back now. So it's it's great to come back to this. Yeah, and, you know, there's something always comforting about watching animated films, I think, because at least for me, that's, you know, a big thing that I was watching when I was a kid all the time. And, you know, we still watch them as adults. Like, if it's a cool animated film, we're, like, right there ready to watch it. So, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I felt like the only thing missing for me was my bowl of cereal. (laughs) (laughs) So next month, as we move into June, we're going to be looking at Schools Out summer movies. Mm. So it's summer movies, but there's a school being out motif sort of throughout them. So like they're in school for the whole month. (laughs) No. They're out of school. They're out of school. Like they just graduated. Either they just graduated or they're on summer break. You know, we'll get into it. But Is anybody in detention? No. Okay. But school's out for summer. Oh, yeah. School's out. Alice Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I wish we could just, you know, just lift Alice Cooper's song. Copyright infringement lawsuit. (laughs) We're going down. This is the last broadcast (laughs) ever. Goodbye, everybody. Lawyers are here. Um, Yeah, no. But uh, yeah, so that's what our next month's going to be. We're looking forward to that. We will have a guest uh, coming in for one of those episodes. So we, uh, yeah, we're going to have fun. It's going to be fun. What's more fun than school being out? Um, School being in? What are you, a nerd? Sound like me. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just like to be a pain. That's all. That's all. But no, I, I'm really excited. I mean, we're going to be talking some wild and wacky movies next month. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's another complete change of pace from what we've been doing this month. And yes, we will be back with a guest during the month. Yes. So looking forward to it. Uh, we'll see you then. So until then. Stay comfy. Stay comfy.